Well, last week, if you were with us, we started talking about spiritual gifts and the attention of God for spiritual gifts. And we were in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So this is the goal. This is the picture of a healthy church. And yet last week we acknowledged that this is not always the case in our churches or even in our lives. That, that people may not even realize their gifts. Or perhaps they're reluctant to use them, or maybe they struggle to find how they can use them uh, in the church or in the body. And so this morning we want to continue uh, talking about spiritual gifts and begin to address this question of how we move from viewers to doers. How we move from viewers to doers. And... Uh, what can help us be more and more the people or the church that God has designed us to be? And so we've already gotten some encouragement from the Apostle Peter. This morning we're going to turn to Paul in Romans chapter 12, where he reminds the Roman Christians of the benefits of spiritual gifts when they're expressed by people who are living in and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 12, starting with verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. And if it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. So Paul wants the body of Christ to be spiritually healthy, um, but there are ways of thinking about and seeing the body that, that will determine whether it's healthy or not. And so in some churches, as I mentioned, we see people discovering their gifts and putting them to use, and that's the picture of the healthy church. But in others, uh, not so much use of the gifts, which is unhealthy. So How do we make sure that we're healthy, that we're living according to this design, that we're living and functioning as God has designed it? Or as I said before, how do we move from viewers to doers? 
Well, Paul gives us at least three things in this text. First of all, it begins with our relationship to God. Are we seeing ourselves through God's eyes? Or are we seeing ourselves as God sees us? Do we fully understand what God has done for us and submit ourselves to his purposes for our lives? Before this chapter, Paul writes about the wonders of God, uh, the mercy he's shown us, the depths of his riches, uh, the wisdom that he offers to us. And then verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. So... I can stand up here and I can talk about spiritual gifts until I'm blue in the face, but it won't make a difference unless God is God in your life. That's the foundation. That's that's where it comes from. Spiritual gifts do not even matter unless you begin to see who God is and your own life in light of who He is. And so this is an intentional decision on our part to live our lives for God and to understand that all of our lives have been given to us by God, that we offer ourselves to Him. And and I say that because some of you right now are trying to serve two gods. You're trying to please two gods, God and yourself. And so you say, well, you know, I'll do a little bit of what God wants, And then I'll do a little bit of what I want. But that's not the kind of relationship that Paul is describing here in our text. Now, sometimes scripture is hard to understand. Other times we've read it so much that it it, it kind of loses its meaning. And so I'm very thankful for scholars like Eugene Peterson who comes along and he rewords the scripture accurately in a fresh way so that it's understandable or perhaps more hearable in our day. And so listen to how Peterson puts Romans 12 verses 1 and 2. And this is from the Message Bible. I really like this, how he does this. He says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity... God brings the best out of you. He develops well-formed maturity in you. So, when your life belongs to God, and when we realize that, it's a beautiful picture or beautiful things emerge because our lives do belong to God. And as you grow in maturity in relationship with God, it's meant to produce by the Holy Spirit 
a spirit of humility in which you minister using the gifts that God has given you. Look at verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. So Paul recognizes here that he's saved by grace, and it's the grace of God also that imparts to him his spiritual gifts, which are to be expressed, he says, in a spirit of love and humility. And if you think about Paul, he is extremely gifted. I think it would have been really easy to be prideful if you're Paul. But he reviewed the necessity for all of us as believers in Jesus to think neither too highly nor too lowly of ourselves, but rather with sober judgment. Verse 3, he says, in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. So how do you and I get an accurate measure or perspective of ourselves and our value? Well, we get a true estimate of ourselves from the Word of God as we walk in the light in relationship with Him and among God's people. And so the challenge for us is to use God's measuring stick to evaluate our worth or our measure of faith. And faith here in this passage is the variety of ways in which we use our gifts to be a blessing to others. And so God has given you and I a measure of faith to trust Him, not only in our personal lives, but also as we express our spiritual gifts. So seeing ourselves through God's eyes as He sees us, we ask... How can I make the best use of my time, talent, spiritual gifts so to benefit the church of Jesus Christ and the hurting community around me? If we want to be a healthy church using the gifts that God has given us, we see here that it starts by seeing ourselves through God's eyes, from His perspective, evaluating ourselves as He does, and then it continues by seeing others through God's eyes. Paul says that Christians are like members of a human body. Verses 4 and 5. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So the first thing Paul wants us to look at here is our own physical bodies. We are all just, uh, we all individually just get one body. And the second thing he wants us to look at is that within our own body, there are many different but very necessary members which do not all have the same functions. And if any one of those members were injured or eliminated, the whole body would be disabled in some way. Um, and I, I think if... Uh, Rod Tukolsky were here this morning. Hopefully he's watching on the, on the YouTube or whatever. But if he were here, I think that him and I could snicker about this a little bit because it seemed to me for a while that he had one doctor for every part of his body, you know, that got injured. He had a specialist for every part. And we were running through the list of all the different parts. And that was good because every part needs to work. Every part needs to be healthy. And if one part is not, that affects the whole body. So it's a very powerful analogy, I believe, that Paul uses here. 
So we're encouraged to understand and to value the importance of the different members of our body as we think about it in that way and their usefulness to the whole body. And I think it also helps us to enjoy the fact that our parts are not in competition with each other. This is not a competition. And we know that. And uh, I think about social media. and Sometimes it's, it's awesome to see what's going on in people's lives and to celebrate the great things. But sometimes social media can cause us to stumble and it's kind of a competition type of thing. And we start comparing each other. And, and if it turns into that for you, then put it aside. Because we are not to be in competition with each other. We're, we're part of one body. So we celebrate with the body. And, and, and that helps us to enjoy it. Um, so life in the body of Christ or in a church is enjoyed when each member of the spiritual body is interdependent on the other. And all the members are dependent on the Lord Jesus, who's the head, to use them, the gifts, to his honor and glory and for their own personal joy. And so this is the way we're designed to look at one another as believers in Christ. Not with jealousy, not with anger, not with pride, but with love and power from God, looking to build each other up and to make each other stronger. And so when the body is working as God has designed it, it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's amazing. There's nothing like it. And, and Paul now illustrates this by encouraging the Romans to look at some of the spiritual gifts that they're already employing and enjoying within this ministry or body. Look at verses 6 and 8. He says, We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. And so as we think about our church and we think about equipping, as our vision statement says, if we're going to equip the believers in our church to use their gifts, as described here, we need to be seeing ourselves through God's eyes, seeing others through his eyes, and then thirdly, seeing the joy of the body using their gifts together. Seeing the joy. Uh, I'm not sure I can spend a lot of time explaining this or talking about this. It's something that you have to experience. And so once you experience the joy of the body using their gifts, um, you want more and more of that. It's an exciting thing. If you haven't experienced that, I don't know if I can describe it well for you. Um, but but this is the design. So So let me just make a few comments before we... Um, go through this partial list as our application for this morning. A few comments about spiritual gifts and, and the other lists in the Bible that we're going to look at in the coming weeks. Um, first of all, I want you to remember that each believer in Christ has already received their spiritual gift or gifts. It's already happened. Second, the question naturally arises, how do I discover my spiritual gift or gifts? And so, Let me give you just a few ideas on that this morning. If you're looking to discover those gifts. First of all, 
Pray to God and tell him you're looking for opportunities that would help you to discover or open up these spiritual gifts. Then in the power of the Holy Spirit, simply begin ministering as you see open doors. Uh, Those doors will open up in front of you. And if you don't know your gifts specifically, that's okay. Take a guess and, and try some things. Just try some things. Join with other people who are ministering and tell them, I'm trying to figure out my spiritual gifts. I'm trying to discover what those are. And I'd appreciate it if you would keep an eye out and see what you think on that topic. Because often, those in the body can see our gifts more clearly than we can. And I've seen this so often in in church settings where, where I compliment people on the gift that they're using. And they just go, huh, anybody could do that. I'm going, no, (laughs) you have a specific gift. Do you not realize that? Eh, I've always had it. So, you know, and so other people in the body are really helpful for you in discovering what your gifts are. So ask someone that you trust, someone that you you're ministering with. And in time, the Lord, by his grace and in harmony with other believers around you, will begin to confirm these gifts that you've been given. And then you'll begin to have some spiritual wisdom to to bring these gifts into focus in ministries in which you can best build up other members of the body of Christ. And thirdly, I think I I need to say that regardless of whatever spiritual gift or gifts that you have, we are called upon by the Lord to serve others when special needs arise. And so... Don't limit your service to others by the specific gift that you discover you have. Um, for example, you may have the spiritual gift of mercy, and uh, a truck pulls up with a load of furniture to be unloaded. And so you say, well, I'm sorry, I just have the gift of mercy. You need to find somebody with a gift of helps. Don't, don't do that. There's a need we serve, and we fill it as best we can, and there are ways that we can serve outside of are gifting as well. So serve as as needed. But after discovering their spiritual gifts, the Roman Christians were encouraged to begin using these in harmony with each other. So notice they weren't to, to wait until they became spiritually mature to express their gifts, but they were to begin where they were in life, and they were they were looking for opportunities to use those in the power of the Holy Spirit. So Paul now lists seven of about 20 spiritual gifts that are identified in the New Testament. He he lists seven here. And so many say, well, how come Paul didn't list all the gifts in one spot, in one letter? Um, But we need to keep in mind that the apostles had already taught this subject to the new churches. And so when Peter and Paul mention them in their letters, they present only a partial list of the gifts, and they use them as illustrations to support teaching on a deeper problem that's going on in the different settings, such as Rome and Corinth and Ephesus. So that's why they're not all listed in one spot. But let's briefly just explore the list we have here this morning, Romans 12, and see if we can identify anything that might match us or those around us. First of all, it says the Spirit gives some a spiritual gift of prophecy. And instantly, I think when you hear the word prophecy, your mind thinks of future predictions, which Old Testament prophets definitely made. And and this is foretelling. 
But the greater meaning and the more general use of this word prophecy means forth-telling or proclaiming the principles of God's word which are true now and forever. So perhaps you have this gift of prophecy. Uh, Do you find that you can't remain quiet or still when you know that you're hearing a lie or you're in the presence of evil? Do you have a clear-cut understanding of what God considers to be right and wrong? If so, perhaps you have the gift of prophecy. And if you've been given the spiritual gift of prophecy, you're encouraged to begin using it now in proportion to your faith or your knowledge of the Word of God, the Gospel of Jesus Christ. It says here the Spirit also gives some the spiritual gift of serving. Um, And this is the spiritual ability to meet the physical needs of people within a given community of believers or unbelievers. So, are are you motivated to to pursue practical areas of service to others? Are you concerned with the practical, tangible work associated with a project? Do you enjoy doing things with your hands and in association with other people? If so, you may be a person who's been given the motivational gift of service. And if you've been given the spiritual gift of serving, that's when you can begin using right away. There are opportunities all over for service. But maybe those gifts don't describe you. Let's keep moving through this list. Are you a person who's concerned with the accuracy when the Word of God is taught or interpreted? Are you concerned that truth is passed on to the next generation or to those currently who are lacking in understanding or wisdom? Do you desire to see the lives of others change as a result of information being given to them? If so, then you might be a person who has the gift of teaching. This is the spiritual ability to take truth from the Word of God, to explain it clearly so that God's people can understand it, and apply spiritual truths to their daily lives. And so if you've been given the gift, uh, the spiritual gift of teaching, you should teach the scriptures in some way. If you're a pastor, you should have this gift. But you don't have to be a pastor if you have it. There are many avenues to use this gift. Um, Some of you are natural teachers. You could teach any subject. But the spiritual gift of teaching communicates biblical truth and it motivates others towards a godly life of obedience to that truth. So that's teaching. Next gift Paul lists here is encouragement. Other translations call this exhortation. It's the spiritual ability to come alongside a person who may be hurting spiritually or emotionally and offer them a word of comfort concerning the past and a a word of encouragement and and admonishment. So uh, this would be a person who wants to truth others in love and challenge them to be able to walk in the Spirit into the future. Uh, There's a man in the early church named Joseph who had this gift, and they renamed him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. And so if you're a person who desires to see others grow in their faith and you long for their spiritual growth and their welfare, you might have the gift of encouragement. Please use it. Or maybe you have a totally different gift. Uh, Paul takes this 
a number of directions in this text, all over. Maybe you're a person who responds immediately to the presence of a need, and you say, what can I do? How can I help solve this need? The Spirit gives uh, the spiritual gift of giving, and it's the spiritual ability to, to earn and then give financially or materially to the needs of others within the body of Christ or the community in which you live. And those who have this gift express it for the glory of God. They don't draw attention to themselves. And so for that type of person, their greatest joy is to give to others with a full and a generous heart. The gift of giving. Then Paul says the Spirit gives some the spiritual gift of leadership. And this gift is sometimes called the gift of organization or administration. Uh, The Greek word literally means the one who stands out front. Um, It's the spiritual ability to stand before a group of people and lead them. Could be into a deeper walk with the Lord Jesus. Could be into a mission project or in the building of a new community of Christians. Could be leading an elders meeting, perhaps. Uh, But these are people who order things well. They are organizers. They help things run orderly and with quality. Love these people. They help me stay on track. Um, You might be a person like that. Or you might be a person, and and by the way, you're not limited to just one of these boxes. You could have a number of them. Uh, But you might be a person who has a real heart for others. Maybe you're concerned about finding ways to show kindness. Do you have a desire to see people love one another to a greater degree? Then you're likely a person who has the gift of mercy. This is the spiritual ability to show compassion and to give aid to those who are helpless. It's the ability to express compassionate, loving action, to lift up the one who's down and to do it joyfully. You're drawn to our vision statement when it says loving community. That's you. As verse 8 says, if that's you, let him do it cheerfully. Well, that's just scratching the surface on these motivational gifts. And if you want to learn more, there's lots of great resources out there. There are books that I could recommend. I, um, I like a book by Charles Stanley that digs into Romans 12 on these motivational gifts deeper, and he describes them in more detail, and he includes strengths and weaknesses because when we're given strengths, often there's a, a weakness that goes with that, a part that we don't have. And so we're going to talk more about specific gifts in the weeks ahead. We're just, just getting started. But this morning, hopefully, you've gotten a bigger picture of God's design for you and for the church. And in closing, in order to use our spiritual gifts, I think it's important for us to understand and to get a full picture of the church as the Bible describes it. Uh, I think it's easy for us to misunderstand or to limit our idea of church. But what is the church? And I'll close with that question this morning. What is the church? Is the church a building? Is the church a pastor? Or the staff? Is the church the music, the tradition, 
or the ministries. These are all good things, but they are not the church. Take them away, and the church is still here. Why? Because you are still here. The church is you. The church is you with a purpose. The church is you on a mission. The church is you with a plan, a simple plan to plug into God at a weekend service, to charge up in a small group community, to live out using your gifts and passions, and to pass on your faith to those who do not know Christ. When you and I live like this, all the things we used to do in church become things we do as the church. God desires it. The world needs it. And we are called to be it. What is the church? The church is you.